For uh, those of you that I haven't met, uh, my name is Justin. I'm on staff here at Narrate, and uh, I work with the tech team. And the tech team, if you didn't know, we're responsible. We work with the sound, the slides, the lights, and the live streaming and all of that that goes on. And so normally you'll see me in the back of the room. You're not going to see me up on stage very often. Uh, for those that do know me, you're probably wondering, like me, what in the world I'm doing up here, because I am a back-of-the-room kind of guy. Uh, if you've ever been in a meeting with me, uh, you know that I, I don't speak up a lot. I'm pretty quiet. Um, if I don't always have a lot to say. You know, that's even carried over in like how I've shown up at Narrate here. I started coming here probably four or five years ago. I think the, the first time I showed up, I sat right over in this area somewhere, and then I learned there was a balcony. I got pretty excited about that, so... Um, and after that, I was, a, I was a balcony guy. I'd come in, head upstairs, come to church, sit through church, head out the door, not talk to anybody. That's just how I, I like to do things. Um, after I'd been coming here for a couple years, uh, there was a, a weekend they were talking about all the volunteer opportunities that were available. And there was one that I thought, you know, this, this one could be okay. It was on the setup team. The setup team is responsible for coming in early and, and vacuuming and, and setting out the signs, shoveling snow in the winter, that kind of stuff. I love to help out. I love to be support. I love to, to, to help make things go okay, but I don't want to be the guy up front. I don't want to be the guy on the stage. So that was perfect for me. I could come in early. I like getting up early work on that, head to the balcony after church, head out the door, and be on my way. That's how Sundays went for a very long time. And then, but I, I started to meet people. I started to meet some different people that were here, um, found a lot of people that I really liked. I love coming and hearing the messages from Adam and, and everybody else that spoke here, so I kept coming, kept showing up and, and talking with people. And then last year, there was a, a time when there was uh, a small group of us guys, we're, we got together a few times talking about you know, work, parenting, um, life, all those things in general. And at the end of one of them, uh, Adam said, would anybody else like to pray? And I had that feeling come up in my stomach. You guys know that feeling? Like, oh yeah, I should say yes, but I really don't want to. And I said, oh, okay, um, I, I will. And I have no idea what I said or, or anything. That was the first time I'd prayed out loud in front of other people in over 20 years. Um, except my family, but around being, other pe being around other people, it was a very, very scary thing for me. Um, that led to last fall. I decided to get baptized again. I was baptized when I was a, a little kid. Um, but all the work I'd been doing on myself and, the, and what I'd been learning here and, and with other people that I'd been talking with, I thought, I, I want to get baptized again. Part of that was uh, narrate those videos. So I had to come up with something to say on a video. I didn't want to do that. That almost got me to, to not get baptized. But I showed up, and, and Lenny did a great job with the video. He, he did a bunch of editing. What he took from what I said and turned it into a video was awesome. But that morning when, when my video was shown here in church, I actually went outside when, it, when that part came up. I didn't want to see myself up there. I didn't want to see myself standing up on the, on, or myself up on the screen. And so and then that last fall, there was a position that opened up here, part-time position working you know, with the tech team and doing some of that stuff. And I thought, you know what, I love, narr I love narrate. I love the people here. Um, I have a bit of a tech background, so maybe I can help out and be a part of that. So I, I applied for it, and I'm pretty sure this is how the conversation went. Um, one of the things they'd asked me was, now you understand that this is a position that's in the back of the room, right? It's not going to be up on stage, and they asked if I was okay with that. And I said, well, you don't know me very well if you even have to ask that question, because of course I'm okay with that. I do not want to be up on the stage. I want to be in the back of the room. And uh, so we had that conversation. I thought it was squared away. January comes, and Adam says, hey, do you want to help out with guest welcome? I said, no, we talked about this. I'm not going to do it. 
And, and ended up doing that a couple times, and it was okay. And then he says, do you want to do the Father's Day message? And inside I said, no, no, that's not me. I'm not that guy. There's a lot of other people that are much better at this than I am. And so I, he kept asking, you know, he said, no rush. You can decide when you want. But, but we kind of need to know fairly soon as the, as the weeks went on. And then we got to a spot one Monday, Monday morning, and I was at home getting ready to go to work. And I had this sudden burst of courage, like, I can do this. I sent Adam a text, said, yeah, I'll do Father's Day. And I went, where's that un the recall button? Bring that text back. I don't want that. And like, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've had lots of reasons why um, I, I shouldn't be up here. Uh, normally, this weekend, I'd be coaching a baseball tournament. We had a, a Father's Day tournament here. This year, of course, that got canceled. Another tournament came up in Missoula. Um, but I'd already committed to this. And I said, no, I, I can do this. It'll, it'll be okay. It's funny what our kids learn from us, right? My, uh, one of the stories about me when I was little, my dad was uh, building a shed out in the backyard at our house. And he, uh, at maybe, and I was probably four or five years old, I wanted to help. And if you've ever had a four or five year old little boy help you, it's not a lot of help, right? So he had done some things, like there, there was one part where he had covered the whole thing in plastic to keep things dry. And so I went out there when he wasn't around, cut some windows in it for him, you know, so <laughs> he was able to have windows in his shed. He didn't like that. There was another time, and I think this was around the same time, in, in the same story, where I, I picked up a stick and I threw it. I didn't really throw it at him, but it hit him in the head. He didn't like that either. But we eventually, you know, we, I say we, but he got the shed done, despite my help. And I was so excited. I ran into the house to tell my mom, we finally got that really awesome shed done. Except I didn't say really awesome. I used some much more colorful language that a four or five-year-old, and probably even me, shouldn't be using anywhere. So that one my mom wasn't happy about. And she told me I couldn't tell that story, but that one's for you. <laughs> but my kids also learn from me, right? Uh, you guys have heard me say several times this morning that I'm not the guy to be up on the stage. I'm the guy in the back of the room. I'm not the guy that speaks up. There's somebody else better. Imagine how many times my, my four kids have heard me say that over their entire lives. I have four kids. My oldest is uh, 17, next one's 14, and then one that's almost 11 and one that's 9. And they've heard me say that a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see, really, especially with my oldest two, I'm hearing these things come back from them. I'm hearing them say, you know what, I'm not a good public speaker. I don't like talking in front of the class. I'm not ready to go. So it, it's one of those things where I see that even though I try to teach them and tell them things, that's not what they necessarily learn. They're learning from what I'm modeling for them. You know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why I feel this way and I, why I, I talk this way. And I think the biggest one is fear. And largely due to fear of failure. You know, what if I say I'll do something and it goes terribly bad that, and I fail? What if there's somebody, I was thinking about this one, what if there's somebody that comes to church this morning, maybe for the first time, maybe the first time in a long time, and they hear me speak and they say, yeah, church isn't for me. What if that happens? So if that's you, I encourage you, come back next week, hear Rob speak, come back in a future week. We have lots of great speakers here. Um, but it, it, fear of failure drives a lot of that. I want to play small. If I, if I don't put myself out there, I, I, I can't fail, right? I also um, have a, a thought that there's somebody else that's better. This came up for me last year with baseball. I put in an application to coach the nine-year-old All-Stars. And I, after I turned it in, I got really vocal about asking other people, hey, if you or somebody you know want to put in for it, please do. I want the best, kid, you know, the best coach for the kids that we can find. And, I, and there's some good things there too, right? Like, I really do believe that, and I really do want that. 
But there was also something underneath that where I was, I was saying it because I'm, I was saying to myself, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not the right guy for this job. And so I was communicating that through, I, I think, you know, kid, when my kids heard me say things like that, I'm sure I was communicating that I'm not good enough message. I also have a, a fear of succeeding. What if I do a good job the first time? And, I, and, and then I got to do it again. I can't do it twice in a row. I can't do a good job twice in a row. Um, that, that comes up for me a lot. The people are going to figure it out. They're going to see that I'm a fake, that I'm not that good at whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, and, and then how, uh, the fear of perception. How are my kids seeing me? How do my coworkers see me? How do my clients see me? How do, how do other people see me? And, and just being afraid of that, that message. You know, I, I asked Dylan, uh, Dylan's my 14-year-old, and I asked him a few weeks ago, I said, so what do you think I should talk about? What would you like to hear from me? And, and he said, you know, I... Th- I'd, one of the messages that he's gotten from me is that you can do more than you think you can. That you can go farther than you think you can. He's, uh, he's 14. He's almost as tall as I am now. We're kind of in that weird spot where, you know, I've always been bigger, stronger, faster than him. I'm getting slower and older. He's getting bigger, stronger, faster than me. We did some hiking last fall and this spring. We've been doing quite a bit. And, and I put him through some pretty tough hikes. Last fall, we ended up in some deep snow. Uh, climbing to the top of the mountains, and then I'd show him, like, hey, that's where we started out, and this is where we are now, and this is where we're going to go next. And, and he really latched onto that message, that really there is more inside us than we think that there is. And I love that, that he, he got that message out of it. We had some trips this spring where we, we did some hiking. We also took our mountain bikes on, our, on a couple of them. You know, I'm pushing our bikes uphill through, you know, a, couple, a foot or two of snow. It was not a lot of fun, but he learned a lot through all of that. So these thoughts that I have around, am I strong enough? Am I good enough? Am I a good enough dad? Am I good enough to be a dad? Those run through a lot. And, and I think when those thoughts are showing up, then there, there's certain emotions that come up for me. Some of it's sadness. Some of it's maybe apathy. Some of it I want to withdraw and, and say, no, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm just going to play small. I'm going to stay small through all of this. And you, and, and you can probably imagine when that happens, how do I show up for my kids? It's not very good, right? How do I show up at work? How do I show up with my friends? When I'm having these thoughts around I'm not good enough and these emotions about I'm feeling bad about it, maybe some guilt, maybe some shame, all of those types of things, I just don't show up very well for people. I've had a lot of conversations with people. I've had enough to know that you know, I'm not alone in this. I know that there's other people out there that have felt this way about things um, or at least know somebody that has maybe on some specific things. Um, one of my philosophies when I'm coaching a, a sports team, baseball or basketball, is that I'm, I'm out there and I get to work with my kid, I get to coach my kid, and any other parent that I want that wants to do it, I want them to have that opportunity. Whether they know the sport or not, whether they've coached before or not, doesn't matter at all. I want them to be out there. In some years, it seems like there's uh, really high participation, parents that want to do it, and some years there's not. And there's a lot of very good reasons why not. You know, there's a lot of you know, work scheduling, kid scheduling. Um, and this isn't about like saying, no, you got to coach your kids sports. That's not it at all. Um, but I do find some people that say, no, I can't do it. I've, I never played baseball or, or I've never coached baseball. I've never coached a sport. I don't know how to work with kids. And, and on that part, you know, there's, there's lots of us that have done some of that and we can help out. Um, I started playing baseball when I was eight years old. It, uh, I think we were coming back from a fishing trip or something. My dad and I, and we were driving by a ball field and we saw some kids out playing. And my dad recognized one of the coaches. They were a family friend. Um, he had a boy that was a year older than me. And it was an eight and nine-year-old team. So my dad pulled in and went over and asked, is there room for Justin to play? Can, can we get signed up or are we too late? And they said, no, we got room. So I signed up, um, played baseball that year. And I think my dad helped out some. 
the next year, he signed up to coach. Now, he had never played baseball. He'd never coached baseball. Um, but he, he dove in head first. He, we didn't have the internet back then, of course. But he would go to the library and check out books and read up on coaching and, and read up on baseball. He, uh, at some point, VHS tapes came around, and, and so he would get VHS type tapes about coaching. He went to camps where we were there, and he'd go and talk to the coaches. And, and he really dove in and, and got after it. He coached me up through when I was 15. He coached my little brother up through his 15-year-old year. And then he kept coaching. He coached some other teams. He coached kids that I've never met, don't know. And that's one of the things that I love is, is sometimes he'll tell me stories about running into to kids that he coached who now are you know, grown up. They have families. They have jobs. And you can just see the, the joy in his heart and, his, and in his eyes when he's telling me about them because of the relationship he had with them when he was able to coach them. So I just love that. The good news is, you know, that this isn't new. Um, this winter I was reading uh, in Exodus about Moses, and, and there was a story there that really just jumped out at me. You know, Moses was a guy that had a lot of doubts. And if it's all right, I'm going to read a little bit, and, uh, and then I'll paraphrase some of it instead of just reading the whole section here. So this is the part where Moses is talking to God at, at, through the burning bush, and, and God says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. Now, you'd think that would be like enough. Like, oh, God's talking. There's a burning bush there. God's talking to him and, and saying, go ahead. I'm going with you. It'll be fine. But Moses, he, he had some doubts. And so he said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then he goes on, and he's pretty specific on this is how it's going to go. Um, again, I'd like to think that um, if I was Moses, that one, God saying he'd go with me, I would, I would be on board. But if not, after he explained this to me, I'd say, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then Moses said, but what if they still don't believe me? Or they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And this is where God says, what's, what's that in your hand? He said, it's a staff. Moses threw it on the ground. It turned into a snake. And, and then God said, well, pick it up by the tail. So uh, Moses picked it up by the tail, it turned back into a staff. And then he said, now put your hand in your cloak. So he put his hand in his cloak and took it out, and his hand was like all leprous. And then he put it back in and took it out, and it was fine again. And then God said, now there's two things that you can show them. But a third one, if they still don't listen, is go to the Nile River, take some water, dump it on the ground, it'll turn into blood. And I mean, this seems pretty convincing, right? So now I got God say, Moses has God saying, I'll be with you. Um, he gave lots of good reasons why that is, and then he, he has some pretty good signs that he's going to show him. But Moses said, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And Moses said, Oh Lord, please someone, send someone else to do it. You know, like I said, I'd love to think that I would have been different than Moses, that I would have been all on board, I'd have been listening, but just based on how my life has gone, I don't know that I would have. I might have been just in the same spot saying, what if, what if, and I, I don't think this is going to work. This isn't going to work. I've been going to a lot of, uh, through a lot of personal development type courses over the last several years, and there's a common theme that runs through a lot of them, and that says that I'm enough. I'm, you know, for, people, for us to believe that we are enough and um, we're perfect and whole just as we are. And I love that sentiment, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. But there was a part that kind of felt like it was missing. And this, this past winter, I, I had a teacher talking about this, and, and she said, yes, that, that part, 
makes sense, but it makes a whole lot more sense if, if when we realize that we are enough through Christ. That it's the power of Christ that allows us to be enough. Without Christ, I'm just Justin. I have just my, my, my abilities, whatever that is. And when I put my trust in myself, that's when, when things tend to, to stay small. I, I don't put myself out there. I don't get up in front of groups and talk. I don't, I don't do these things. But what if I was to, to look at it a little bit differently? So I want to ask you, where in your life is, is fear holding you back? You know, in, in work or relationships or, or with kids or activities or things that you want to do? Um, where is it showing up in others? Like for me, my, my fear of, of public speaking, of getting up in front of people, is showing up in my kids now, right? It's showing up where they're learning that from me by how I've modeled it. They're learning from how I treat myself, how I talk about myself, the things I say to other people about myself. Um, I'd love to think that they're just going to learn only what I want them to learn. When I tell them something, like, I want you to learn this. I, I want to teach you this. That that's what they would learn. It doesn't work that way. Um, a few weeks ago, my oldest daughter, Jessica, asked, came to us and, and asked if she could go on a camping trip with her friends. She's 17. It was One of her friends was turning 18, and the girls wanted to go camping. In my mind, I said, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, and then she brought the next question up of, can, you take, can we take our camper? And then it was really no, I, not a chance. But before I said anything, my wife and I, we, we had a little discussion about it, and, and we came up with some thoughts. You know, I mean, she's, she's almost 18 herself. It's not too far out before she'll be able to just go if she chooses. So we had a good conversation with her about it, and we said, well, we want to come up with some, some criteria. So it's got to be within like 30 minutes of Helena. We want to make sure it has good cell service, good roads, getting in and out. Uh, we wanted a camp host to be there. And I want to know who it is that's going to be there. Know that I could show up anytime throughout the weekend, and if anybody's, not, if anybody's there that's not supposed to be there, there's going to be a lot of trouble here. So we had a, a really good conversation around it. And her and one of her friends on Thursday went out. They went down to Canyon Ferry. They found a, a great camp spot, a camp host. It met all the criteria. They went and did their own grocery shopping. They figured out what they were going to eat, how they were going to um, you know, handle all that over the weekend. Dylan, my 14-year-old, he ended up splitting them a bunch of firewood. They learned how to build a fire and how to put a fire out. We talked about a lot of that stuff. And they did great that weekend. Uh, it was really fun to see how they felt about themselves, too. Like They, they were able to get this accomplished. Um, and, I, and I think that the, the trust that their mom and, and I had in them went a long ways for that. Uh, this spring, another conversation I had with Dylan was he asked about why... Why did I stop doing some things? Like I said, I have four kids. When they were little, it's busy. Uh, and that was the best answer I could come up with. I said, it, it just got hard to get started. I used to do a lot of archery shooting. I used to do a lot of running. I used to do a lot of backpacking, a lot of camping. But boy, with four little kids, it, it just got hard. Like just to go to the lake for the afternoon was a couple hour ordeal to get things together, get things ready to go. And then we'd get out there, and by then, usually I would not be in a good mood, and nobody would have fun. So it just got easier just to say, no, I'm not even going to start it. I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to, again, play small. I'm not going to take the risk. I'm not going to take the chance. I'm going to just stay home. A couple years ago, Jake, who's my almost 11-year-old, um, wanted to go fishing. And he's a kid that if there's a thing to do, he wants to go. He wants to do it. It doesn't matter what it is. He just wants to go do it. And he'd been asking me for several weeks or days. I don't even know the timeline, but regularly, can we go fishing? Can we go fishing? And I always had some reason, whether it was um, we, you know, I, I have work to do or we have work to do around the house or I'm tired or you know, we have baseball. There's lots of reasons why we couldn't go fishing. 
And then one evening we had an opportunity where didn't have anything going on. And I said, hey, Jake, let's go fishing. So we hooked up the boat, headed to Canyon Ferry. And just like most things, once we got started, we got on the lake, everything was really good. It was a beautiful summer evening. Uh, we were fishing for walleye. We caught a few walleye, and that's always fun. And we're fishing along, and, and Jake says, hey, Dad, what'd you bring to eat? I'm getting hungry. And I looked around, and nothing. I didn't have anything there. I said, uh, sorry, bud, I, I forgot to bring some food. Um, but we're just going to be out here for a couple hours. It'll be okay. Can you make it a little while? Then we'll, we'll get something on the way home. And, and he said, yeah, that sounds fine. So we fish a little bit longer, and he says, Dad, I'm thirsty. Oh, I, I forgot that, too. Didn't have anything to drink. I said, well, we're just going to be out here a couple hours. You can make it. We'll, we'll get something to drink on the way home, something to drink, something to eat. Now we got our plan for when we leave. A little bit later, he's, he said, Dad, I'm really getting thirsty. Can, can, we do, can we go or do something? So I looked around. We're on Canyon Ferry Lake. There's lots of water there. I shut the boat off, and I grabbed him one hand in his life jacket, one hand on one of his legs, and I held him over the back of the boat upside down and let him get a drink of water. It worked out. Um, I wasn't prepared. We got started. He got a drink. He, he didn't get sick, and I, I strongly do not recommend forgetting your water and your food. However, it did teach him something. Th that kid will always have water and food anytime he wants to go fishing with me now. So, so that part was good. Um, but it worked out anyways, and, and just getting started and doing something with him, I think it, you know, it's one of the stories that he remembers out of all the fishing trips we've been on. That's one that he remembers the most. So uh, on my wall, on my office wall at home, I have, I have a picture. It's a really nice picture that a, a parent of one of the um, players on a basketball team I had a couple years ago um, took of me and the, and the boys. It's a black and white picture, me and the boys, and I'm talking to them. We have our hands in. We're you know, in a little huddle. And she had a, a, a little quote put on it. And that quote says, Every child deserves a champion, an adult who will never give up on them, who understands the power of connection and insists that they become the best that they can possibly be. And I believe it was Rita Pearson that, that actually said that quote. But that little um, picture that's, that's up there, I just love that. And, and the message that that sends. But I want to ask, so what if doing that, what if being a champion for, for our kids and insisting that they become the best that they can be what if that starts with doing the work ourselves and, and learning that we are enough through Christ and that we are enough there? And then we can model that for them and they can um, you know, hopefully grow up to, to believe that as well and that, that they are enough. So I'm going to pray and then uh, the band will come back up for another song here. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank, all of the, I wanna thank you for all of the people that are here this morning and all the people that are online Watching this morning, um, all the fathers that are out there, I'm just really thankful for all that they, they bring to our community. And I also want to recognize the people that maybe for Father's Day or is, is a tough holiday. If their fathers aren't around anymore or maybe weren't around as much as they would have liked them to be, I just pray that you'll be with them as well. I just ask that you'll help us to remember that you are our Father in Heaven, who is there, who does want us to be the best that we can be, and who is there with us always. And, and keep that in our memories so that we can, we can continue to live the, the way that you want us to. And I thank you for the opportunity to be here with everyone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook and Instagram.